Welcome to Gathering Gold. This is Cheryl Paul. And I'm Victoria Russell. And today we are going to be talking about the relationship between effort and ease. And this topic has been swirling around inside of me lately, and I wrote an intro to my weekly email, um, which I will read. And I had several people comment, send notes saying, I'd love to hear more about that. So um, we're going to explore it today. This was the initial writing on it. I've been thinking about the relationship between effort and ease. One of my favorite phrases lately is effort yields fulfillment, meaning that when we put effort into something, moving our bodies, eating well, committing to spiritual practice, it leads to fulfillment. By contrast, giving into our inner teen, who often resists being controlled even by our own selves, leads us to default to the easier choices, mindless scrolling, Netflix binging, fast food, etc., which typically don't lead to fulfillment. At the same time, I'm very interested in the concept of ease and being easeful with the way we live our lives. When the inner taskmaster is at the helm, there is no ease. Likewise, the perfectionist sucks joy out of even the most potentially joyful tasks. There is a relationship here between effort and ease, and I think it depends, at least in part, on being mindful of our intention. We can be easeful even while engaging in difficult tasks when we start with a mindset of joy. It's subtle, but the distinction between forced effort and easeful effort is one worth exploring. So you and I were talking yesterday in our pre-talk about effort and ease, Mm. and you said something really interesting about um, something along the lines of how effort is, uh, how both of them are kind of vilified in a way, <laughs> right? Um, and I was thinking more about that today and how effort through a negative lens sounds like work. And I think for a lot of good reasons, we have a negative association to the word work. It sounds like drudgery. It sounds like monotony does not sound joyful. And ease through a negative lens sounds like lazy. And we do not have positive connotations <laughs> to the word lazy, although I think there is absolutely a time and a place to be like cats and be lazy. Um, but I'm not talking about laziness when I'm talking about ease. So that struck me as just in terms of what those words bring up and how we can kind of widen our understanding and our definition of effort and ease. So I'm just curious, Victoria, if there's anything on on that bit or anything that I read that stands out for you. I really love how you identified those two particular synonyms of effort and drudgery and ease and laziness, because Mm. I do think that's what comes to mind for a lot Mm -hmm. of us. Mm -hmm. And I also think that around effort, there's this idea sometimes that if we have to give something effort, 
then we are just not good at it. We're not good enough at it. We're not smart enough or strong enough, or it's not right in some way. Mm -hmm. Like you and I talked about in the context of a relationship, we think that it should be easy. And we kind of equate effort with there being something wrong. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, we judge ourselves for not putting in enough effort to things and thinking, oh, I'm just so lazy. You know, why can't I be disciplined like other people? Or why can't I work harder like other people or put in that effort that it seems other people do? More easily. <laughs> like we think we think effort is easier for other people. <laughs> yes. And like you said yesterday, we judge ourselves either way. So if something does come easily to us, it's too easy. Think, it's too easy. I'm just taking the easy way. Yes. Like we can't win through the nope. mindset of the critic and the perfectionist. We just can't win. Yeah. Right. And what would it be like to allow for um the goodness of effort? And the blessing of ease if something does come easily to you. And let's take the example of a relationship where there are relationships that have more ease than others. That's probably going to spike a lot of people with (laughs) relationship anxiety. (laughs) Um, But I think that it comes up even as a relationship anxiety spike of it's not supposed to be this easy or – you know, we, my partner and I really don't have like a lot of conflict. Is there something wrong? Like, or we have too much conflict. It's, it's too much it's not work. It's supposed to be this hard. It's not supposed yeah. to be this hard. And so that voice, and we're, we're all familiar with that voice where we just can't win. Right? It doesn't matter how you slice it. You just can't win. Yeah. Um, so I want to bring some other voice, some voice of curiosity and a voice of kindness. Um, I think what you were saying yesterday, Victoria, is also really interesting in terms of what you were just saying, these different voices that come up yeah. around effort. And if we have to work that hard, what's the point? But also that that Carol Dweck and, and, and mindset, the mindset um, mm-hmm. of having a fixed mindset. And I think some, not all, but I think a fair amount of people who are highly sensitive can adopt a fixed mindset as a way to stay protected and stay safe um, and not take the risk of failure, right? Because highly sensitive people are also highly attuned to um, humiliation and fear of rejection and so to put yourself out there and to put the effort in, if you know you're not going to be great at it, is very, very risky. Yeah, it's right. risky in terms of – it's funny. I was, I was taking some notes earlier today, and that, that word embarrassment came up as mm. I was thinking about effort because I think about how like in school – the kids who were considered cool and popular seemed like they did everything effortlessly, mm-hmm. whether they were really good students, really good athletes, good at dance or whatever. And it doesn't look cool to be trying hard, even in relationships, socially, you know, yes. like we and Taylor Swift talked about this kind of in a commencement speech she gave at NYU. Mm. And 
she has this song on folklore called Mirror Ball, where she says, I've never been a natural. All I do is try, try, try. Mm. And she said about the song that she almost took that line out because it felt so personal, Mm. which I thought was really funny because when you dive into that, like why would someone be embarrassed to share that they're not a natural, that they try, try, try? Right. It's like because – we have this view of like, it's embarrassing to try. It's embarrassing to not just be good at it. It's vulnerable. And it's I think vulnerable. it yeah. it brings up so many feelings, not just like, what if I fail, but what are the feelings that I'm going to have to deal with as yes. I'm struggling with something? Yes. Those feelings of I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I can't do it. Like, yes. And I've been wrestling with this very recently in being back in grad school and taking a class where there's a chapter that was more like scientific and, mm. you know, it's harder for me to mm. understand it and take it in. And I want to, and it mm. brings up all of this. Oh, so much, so much. It brings up all of this. And I love what you're saying about the vulnerability of struggling that, that Taylor Swift line, I'll have to listen to that song more closely. Um, it gave me chills when you said it. It 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 speaks right to the heart of what we're talking about and and that she almost deleted it, how how personal, how vulnerable it is. When I think of someone struggling to do something new, I think of like I just get this immediate image of somebody like sweaty and messy and like the opposite of polished and suave and smooth, right? Yeah. And it's it's so messy to try and not know what you're doing. Um, you know, I think about just what that is in somebody that's willing to put themselves out there in a really vulnerable situation um, Everest is coming to mind. Of course, he's very top of mind right now because we're so close to him leaving for college. But I think about his goal to get this Navy ROTC scholarship, very high bar. And he came to it later than a lot of other kids who knew from really little. And some of that coming from their family and being in a military family Everest landed on this all by himself. We are not a military family, although we have become one. And so he was late to the game. And part of what they look for is athletic um, leadership. Most people, most of these kids who receive the scholarship are have been varsity, have been team captain, all of these things. That is not how Everest has been spending his time, but he had to get there. And so we thought, okay, is it going to be track or swimming? Because he has some interest in, in both of those. But this was a couple years ago. Um, and he chose swimming. And he ends up going to this swim club close by in Boulder. And the kids, Boulder's insane when it comes to athletics. Like, it's ridiculous. I mean, you see seven-year-olds and 87-year-olds running Ironman, like, I mean, maybe not Ironman, <laughs> but like marathons, you know, like it, yeah. serious, amazing athletes here. Um, and so he's at this swim club and he, first of all, just has to learn the basic strokes. Like he knew how to swim, but he had never been 
on a swim team. He didn't really know like the four basic strokes. So he had some lessons and he learned the strokes and then he just joined the team. And he's swimming with kids who have been swimming on the team since they were like seven, right? And they're just going past him so fast, right? They're swimming laps and they're passing him up right and left all around him. And he comes home and I'm like, how was it? And he's like, really hard. I'm like, the Mm. swim was hard? He was like, well, swimming's hard. (laughs) It's really hard Um, physically. He said, but it's not that easy to see like 12-year-olds, you know, just passing me up going, everybody's better than I am. Every single person in the pool is faster than I am. Like, wow, Everest, that really takes something. And he, he stayed with it, you know, and he got better. Like he was never going to be the best on the team, but he got better and better and better. Um, and through all of his work with him, he did running and he did training and he did all of these things and he became an athlete. But what it required of him, right? That level of true effort, like hard work. I'm not even going to say effort. That was hard Mm -hmm. work and a willingness to be the worst one. That's something. So I think that's one voice that comes up is the fear of failure, the fear of looking bad, the fear of embarrassment. Um, but I think that there's other elements because yes, like we're not even just talking about big things like becoming <laughs> yeah. an athlete or right. Yeah. Just like the effort of Laundry, daily life. Yes. Cooking, going to sleep on time, getting, yes. getting places on time. <laughs> Yes. Right. And like what I was, what I was saying, you know, to you yesterday is like everything we do, every single thing we do requires some effort. So we wake up in the morning and from that point forward, getting out of bed, brushing our teeth, taking a shower, getting dressed, making breakfast, we exert effort throughout the entire day, unless we're just lying in bed all day. Right. And And I will add that effort is exponentially increased when you have children because you're not only tending to your own self-care needs and work life and house, but also to your kids. So I think that two things, the simplest definition of effort, let's just start there, is um, the mental or physical energy we put into something, right? And so Without effort, we would never get out of bed in the morning. We would never get off the couch. We would never do anything. It's it's some energy, mental or physical, that we put into something. And number two, let's start with the foundation of yay you, yay us as humans. Like what an effort it is to be a human. Yeah. What an effort it is to make that decision to brush your teeth in the morning. You don't have to, right? I mean, you might feel kind of gross or you might not or whatever, but like you make most people make that choice to brush their teeth. That takes effort, right? And then 
eating breakfast and what kind of breakfast you make or not make. Like these are all choices and they all require effort. And so at the most basic level, um, we, we need to start with celebrating ourselves and say, it's not easy being a human. It just isn't at any time in, in history, even now with so much more ease around a lot of people, it's still not easy being a human. And so to recognize that, to take that in, to say, okay, these are the, the, these are the things that I'm already putting effort into. Can I rec- Can I celebrate myself for that? And then to become curious about um, where else I might want to put some effort, but I'm not even so interested in that. I'm more interested in just, I'm not interested in, uh, this isn't about trying to make people do more or do better or put right. more effort in, right? right? It's just really more of an exploratory conversation of what is effort and what is ease and what is the relationship between the two and how can we become curious? So so if that's the definition of effort, then I was thinking about, well, what's the definition of ease? And I was just kind of stream of consciousness, like free form writing about it. And what I wrote, was ease is an attitude and feeling of joyfulness. Ease is moving more slowly. Ease is doing one thing at a time. Ease is lack of tension, the absence of emotional, physical, or spiritual tension. Ease is flow. Ease is deep trust in self, others, and the flow of life. Hmm. And this image came up, which when I think of ease, one of the images that came up, Victoria, is the image of you eating (laughs) and the image of you driving. That's so interesting. The, the driving part, especially. Uh-huh. I'm curious, like, where, yeah, what comes up? Well, that. you drove us when we were in New Jersey. You mm-hmm. drove us to that Liberty Museum in Newark, remember? Jersey City. Yeah. In Jersey City. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> those, those freeways are insane. No joke. No joke. No here in joke. Jersey. <laughs> oh my goodness. And it would be very easy to get very stressed. And maybe you do, I don't know, but that day you just seemed relaxed. Like mm. you just like driving along. You just had like a relaxed look on your face. I felt really safe with you. Mm. And I don't feel like I don't, I'm not someone who feels safe in the car with anybody. Mm. Um, I felt safe with you driving my kids. Mm. And you just had this like, no, I just want to say like this repose, like this, just Hmm. like your posture, the way you like turned on the turn signal, like you were very safe and very aware, of course. (laughs) But there was just an attitude, a, a sense, a feeling of ease, of a lack of tension. Mm. 
it means so much too because you know i i said something about driving mm -hmm. in the last episode i just did just a little comment and um on our patreon page riley commented and was like oh you know it's funny that you bring up i feel like i've brought up driving several yes times. there was one other time at least mm -hmm. yeah and i think riley was just saying you know she has some anxiety around going like above 50 miles an hour and you know she was like it seems like such a small thing but i don't think it is a small thing it's really not. because i think uh for me like it was a really big deal to become more comfortable and more at ease driving and i know a lot of people who feel that way mm -hmm. uh especially like in certain situations right city driving you know certain mm -hmm. types of yes. <laughs> freeways parallel parking yes. whatever and to me, like speaking about effort and ease, like that took incredibly intentional effort. Yes. To become comfortable, more comfortable driving in yes. particularly in certain situations. And so, mm -hmm. yes, that's one of those things where it took it took effort to get to that ease. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, no one can just look at me and see all the effort, <laughs> but mm -mm. it's there underneath. You know, yes, and what that effort gave you in terms of freedom. I don't remember yes. the episode where we were talking about that particular piece that in order for you to take this job that was mm -hmm. an hour away from your hometown and, you know, eventually move out, it kind of required you to put that effort into becoming more comfortable on freeways. Yeah, I knew that it would just be really limiting in a lot of ways yes. in terms of like we don't have the best public transportation infrastructure in New Jersey. So in terms mm. of getting a job and being able to get there and then, you know, being able to say to, to people that I love, like, yeah, I can drive to the concert. I could drive to, you know, yes. let's let's do that trip. I can I got this. It yes. is like it is a very empowering feeling. Yes. And it's interesting how these things wax and wane. I got so much more comfortable with driving, and there was a point during. Well, like throughout the year 2020, like I just didn't really drive anymore. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and I felt much less at ease when mm. life started to change again and I started going out into the world again and I felt a little less at ease driving, like mm. a lot more anxious in certain situations again. Mm -hmm. And it was something I had to put more effort back into again because we can – we can gain muscle and and lose muscle strength around yes anything i think yes for you know? sure yes yes and this idea that ease is a practice mm -hmm. and that when we put the effort in the ease also then comes but um it's not necessarily there automatically i'm i've been reading trisha hersey's book Rest is resistance, the mm -hmm. Nat Ministry Lady. And um she's amazing. The book is 
very, very much worth reading. And she talks about how one of the top questions that she gets is, well, I can't rest. Um, Because I think there's this relationship between ease and rest. And not necessarily that that ease is rest, but but there's a connection, right? That um, I think is important to highlight. And people say, well, I don't have time. I simply don't have time. I'm working 12-hour days or I work a second shift and I'm raising my kids and all of the things. And she kind of just blows a big giant hole in all of that and says there's always there's always 10 minutes. And she tells the story of her grandmother with like lots of grandkids running around the house and taking care of everybody. And every single day, she would plop herself down in the living room and close her eyes for 30 minutes or an hour, I don't remember, and tell all the grandkids, I am closing my eyes now. You guys can do whatever you want. But <laughs> um, but this was her model, right? Even amidst the busyness and not having a lot of money, that her grandmother prioritized rest. So I think it's kind of both. I think it would be really wonderful if we lived in a culture that prioritized rest. And I think there would be a lot more ease around our places of effort. I think we would be able to bring ease to our work and the things that require effort if our culture wasn't so insane around productivity and capitalism and all of the things, because there are cultures that prioritize rest, right? There are cultures that have a three-hour siesta every day in the afternoon, and everything stops, and everybody lies down and takes a nap. Um, And we're so terrified of that because we think we're going to produce less <laughs> if we do that. But what we also know is that exerting effort from a place of exhaustion is overriding our body's need for rest, and it will always feel arduous. So then yeah. there's no joy in the effort, right? That, yes, it would be wonderful if the culture said, take this time for rest every day, but our culture doesn't do that. And so we we must and i think that there's a huge groundswell of people recognizing their level of exhaustion and learning to prioritize rest right and to say i will take those 10 or 15 minutes or whatever we can take in the afternoon when i'm feeling that slump 3 p.m., whatever it is, there is a circadian rhythm, there is a blood sugar time, there's all these physiological clues that our bodies are saying, I need to stop, I need to rest. And we have all the fear that comes up, well, I won't get everything done, I have so many things to get done. But I think this is where the trust comes in when I was talking about the different flavors of ease, right, That mm-hmm. that if we if we trust that things will get done, and in fact, they will get done a lot more efficiently, and that's not the reason why we rest, but it is typically a byproduct of rest, that it allows us to listen to our bodies and stop and close our eyes or lie down on a couch or lie down on a rug 
or lie down on a hammock if you have one. That's my all-time favorite. And rest. And and then to notice, okay, what happens when you then re-engage with the tasks? Right? Because for me, what I notice when I take that time, there's a renewal of energy. There's some other energy source. Even if I'm really tired, there's some other energy source that enters me. And it's often when I'll have like some idea of, oh, I can make that for dinner or hmm, maybe my kids would like that. And some simple thing, not a big grand project, but just a simple little idea that feels yummy and nourishing that maybe an hour ago felt like drudgery. And so I think the rest allows us to infuse a mindset of ease or joy into the necessary tasks that require effort. Yes, I have totally experienced that too. And I've thought about, you know, why why do I resist taking even a 30-second break sometimes? <laughs> Yes. Like, why do I resist that? And I think some of it is this question of what comes up, even just in those 30 seconds, what comes up that feels intolerable? Mm. And I think that's an interesting question for anyone who mm-hmm. <laughs> struggles to take that. 10 minute break or whatever it is. Is it, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't feel like I'm worthy mm-hmm. unless I'm doing something every second. Yeah. Is it yeah. my anxiety flares up and I just cannot stop my mind racing, mm-hmm. thinking about all the things that I need to do and I get overwhelmed and I just want to work on them and check everything off the box because I cannot sit with. <laughs> the to-do list hanging Mm. over my head. Mm. That one I find really interesting. Yes. And I told you, Cheryl, that I've been watching these YouTube videos on Hannah Morris's channel. She does all these videos doing rock climbing, bouldering, like in the gym mostly. And she'll have, she has lots of guests on and it's a very calming uh, approach and everyone is just lovely. And so often she or her guest will be trying like a really hard bouldering problem and they just want to keep pushing through and keep trying. And then they'll be like, you know what? I think I need to rest. And they have a rest and then they try again and they do it. <laughs> like this happens so often. And it's so interesting to watch how much people do not want to rest. They just want to get it. And then they rest. And usually, not all the time, but usually, either right away or after one or two more tries, they get to the top. Mm. And so it's like, what is... Yeah, what's going on when we're like, no, I just got to keep pushing through. I can't take the, whether it's a three-minute rest or a 30-minute mm. rest, you yeah. know, what's going on there? Yes, that's such a good question. 
And I do think some of it is the expectations in the culture and the expectations of being human and even our entire history of being humans where I don't know that there was a lot of time or room for rest. Um, I mean, certainly if you were one of the very few wealthy people (laughs) in the world, but for most of human history and still, of course, in a lot of places today, people have had to work really, 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 really hard just to survive. Um, But I think what Trisha Hersey is trying to bring into consciousness is that 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 doesn't work. Um, There has to be room in a day, even in the busiest person's day, for the rest, for for the ease, and to notice how that shifts, how we effort. Um, and to and to name it for what it is, to name it as the capitalist system that we are all under. And she links it back to slavery and their bodies being used as part of the machine until they would just collapse and die. Yeah. That it was the body being used in the service of white man's productivity. And to the, the to explore and to sit with the degree to which we still abide by that, yeah. that we go and go and go and go and go, and that there's some messaging around, I'll rest when I'm dead or I'll rest mm-hmm. when I retire, mm-hmm. right? That we are here to just burn and grind um, until... I don't know, and retirement's getting later and later and later. And I think that there's some goodness in that because I do think we are meant to stay active in our work lives if it's hopefully fulfilling and not to the degree that we do when we're younger. But um, but I think even that, that there's something emerging around a blending where it's not just work, 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 and then retire at 55 or 65 right. And then rest. And it's so extreme. Right. Right. You work until you just want to die. And then you spend like the rest of your life just bored as hell and doing nothing. So we, I think we're, we're longing, we're recognizing that no, is there a way to work to effort and not just our vocational work, but being a human Mm -hmm. that is, that can be more easeful, that can be more joyful. Yes, I'm thinking about this symbiotic relationship between effort and ease. Because again, if I use like the rock climbing mm. symbolism, people, and I experience this on an extremely small scale because I'm not a rock climber. I just play around <laughs> in the gym. Um, you can find more ease in effort. There is like a sweet spot yes. where – you are putting in effort and you have found more ease. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really beautiful place to be. Like you mm. talked about flow. It's yes. like you can be putting in – it's not just like you said. It's not just like rest and doing nothing versus working really hard. Mm-hmm. I think like part of getting into a better relationship with ease and effort is finding like where they connect. Yes. And – that I think is a place we love to be as humans when we can find it and it can be really hard to find. Yes. But when we find that flow of like, I am putting effort into something 
I want to put effort into. And it's not so hard that I'm shutting down or going berserk. (laughs) And it's not so easy that I'm just numb or on autopilot. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful place to be when we find things where we bring, we find both. So beautiful. And I think that's exactly the heart of this conversation is what is that relationship between effort and ease? You know, as if they are entities, energies, they're forces. What is what is that interplay between effort and ease? And how can we bring more ease to the tasks that we might initially find arduous or feel like drudgery? And I think quite often it's bringing in some kind of other element. Like, I'll give a couple of examples. Um, I don't typically love to cook as an idea. While I'm doing it, I enjoy it. But it takes me, it takes some effort, mm-hmm. efforting like mental to, to get there. But one thing that makes it so joyful is putting on music. And I love cooking with music on. And then it feels like a dance. And sometimes I will dance, right? Just start dancing in the kitchen and mm-hmm. and it 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 becomes this very joyful experience. And so to me that brings to to mind this question or this metaphor of how can we make life more of a dance where there is that that intersection, that interflow between effort and ease. And why do I cook? I cook because I want my children to eat healthy food. I want my husband and I to eat healthy food. I don't really enjoy eating out at restaurants. I don't typically feel good after eating at restaurants. Sometimes I really enjoy that, but not on a regular basis. It is a ton of effort. Like you and I were saying yesterday, the entire sequence of events that has to happen in order Mm -hmm. to get to the kitchen, right, is making a grocery list, going to the grocery store, buying everything you need, getting home, unpacking all the groceries. Making sure everything's clean. Making sure everything's clean. Thank you, OCD brain. (laughs) I got you. (laughs) Victoria, she's watching out for all of us. (laughs) Don't you worry about a thing about Victoria's kitchen. Mm -mm. (laughs) Nope. No one will get sick there. (laughs) Um, Everything's clean and now you're ready to cook. Um, And then the cooking itself and then you get to eat the food, and then you still have to clean up. (laughs) There's still one more step. So what, it's like a seven or eight step process. It requires a lot of effort, like how to make each of those steps more joyful. Um, And some of them I do find natural. I love thinking about what to cook. I wish I could just snap my fingers and it would appear. Um, But it doesn't. And so it's, again, bringing in, bringing in the music for the actual cooking and making of it a dance. So that's the first example. And the second one is my actual work, sitting with clients, um, which at this point, to be honest, because I've been doing it so long, actually doesn't feel 
effortful. It mm-hmm. doesn't there's a there's a flow that I think does happen. We know that flow happens when you've done something for long enough, certain number of hours, whatever whatever it is, all of the factors that go into um, being in flow around something. And so it's a really beautiful place to be, and I feel such privilege, and I love my work, and I love sitting with people. And still, um, it still requires something of me, right? It's still energy. And one of the things that I've done, and I've shared this in one of my courses in Grace Through Uncertainty is, and I started doing this years and years ago, and I often do it before our podcast as well, is I'll say the Jewish prayer that is on my pendant, my tree of life pendant. And the prayer is, Here I am. And the image, here I am, is like my arms outstretched and my palms up in this image of receiving. Here I am. Let me be a vessel for your will, Shekhinah. And Shekhinah is the feminine side of God. And so it's it's this recognition that, or this hope or this prayer of of receiving, being a vessel of receiving, that I'm not the only one doing this work, right? That there is some other energy force, whether it's my own highest self or my unconscious or the trees or whatever it is, I don't care, that there's some other energy force that's not just my will, right? It's not just like efforting is different than effort. Efforting, I think of like scrunched brow, like, oh, working. And not in the positive sense of working, but to open and relax everything and become a vessel that, um, that can receive. And so I think about this element of opening to the aid of music, the aid of, of spirit, right? And you and I talked about yesterday, like what the difference between walking alone or hiking alone and, and walking with a friend, mm-hmm. right? The energy of connection. And that when the connection comes in, in human form or non-human or music, creative, um, that the E, it lightens our load, right? Yeah. And something that feels hard, you're still effort, you're still making effort to walk, to move your body, to cook, to wh- whatever it is, now becomes more easeful and more like a dance. Yeah. I love what you're saying about bringing in supports yeah. around you. You have music or dance, friendship, a higher power or a higher source. Mm-hmm. Like all of these things are supporting you. And I think they all kind of point to, you know, what doesn't work when we are feeling resistant to putting in effort. Like what doesn't work is isolating ourselves and saying, labeling ourselves, well, you're just lazy, Mm. you know, criticizing and blaming ourselves. Why can't you just do this? You know, Uh, arguing with ourselves about it. Like, like you mentioned kind of the inner teenager, Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. at the beginning who doesn't want to do the thing. It's like, mm. have you ever watched a teenager and a parent argue about something and the parent wins the argument? Like, <laughs> uh, no, no, <laughs> they don't win. You can't, you're not going to like win the argument, but right. you can bring like compassion. You can shift your focus. You can reframe things. You know, yes. I think like for me with food and cooking, I was in such a rut with ordering so much takeout for dinner. Like just I've been working so much. Mm -hmm. And I remembered that I have an Instacart subscription, which I didn't I've used like once in my life because I feel guilty. I'm like, I'm not a mother with a little baby. I'm not an elderly person who can't get to the store. Like I I tell myself you're not allowed to use to use Instacart. And I realized, like, Victoria, if you break this into more manageable steps, like, you can place an order on Instacart mm-hmm. and the food will be delivered and you will eat mm. better and cook and you will have more energy to then go to the grocery store yes. next time. And I kind of had to make it more manageable. Like, I think when we – like you named before, when we are perfectionists and we expect ourselves – to jump from, you know, I've, you know, being in a rut to like handcrafting artisanal, you know, pasta <laughs> that we that we rolled out by hand. I mean, these are the things we do to ourselves, yes. you know. <laughs> there yes. are supports out there. We do have resources and supports and like remembering what those are and using them. Yes. And instead of criticizing and blaming, like reframing that and being like you know, I do care about this and I am capable of this. Like, okay, yeah, I'm struggling with it, but I'm I'm continuing to struggle with it because I want to do something about it or else it wouldn't be a struggle. It would just be what it is, you know? Yes. <laughs> I yes. care about it and I'm I'm capable. And how can I make it more manageable? Break it into smaller bits. Mm. Yes, I think so many of us are so programmed to go at it alone and tough it out and suffer through it. And we forget to seek supports in all of these different ways that it's available. And that when we do, we we lighten that load. We give ourselves support for that part of the task. I'm thinking about how one of the places where I struggle is around um, not so much cleaning our house. Our house is clean, but but keeping it um, less cluttered Mm -hmm. and decluttering on a more regular basis. Um, I love the the ease, the lack of tension in a decluttered house. I think we can all feel what that feels like in our bodies when we're in a space that doesn't have a lot of clutter, right? That's that's the feeling of ease. And we recognize that. We like that. I like that. Um, But I don't like what it takes to get there. And (laughs) and it's hard when there's – two teenage boys in the house and you declutter and then like 10 minutes later, (laughs) everything's all over the place again. Um, So, but one day I was in our kitchen and Everest is the least cluttered person Mm. I've ever known, which 
it still kind of blows our mind because he was not like that as a younger kid, mm-hmm. but he somewhere along the way like became all Navy even before he even thought he was going to the Navy. It's really wild. And his room and like everything, it's like an Apple store. It's just all just pristine and clean and everything <laughs> has its spot and it's so orderly and it's so lovely and it's so soothing to the soul. Like sometimes I just go sit in Everest's room because it's so soothing. <laughs> um, and it's not cold. It's like very warm, but it's just very organized. And he does not like the clutter in our house. And so he was complaining about it. And I said, you know what, Everest? I don't like it either. But I don't like you complaining about it. You live here too. Mm-hmm. Um, so how about we clean out the kitchen drawers and the cupboards together? Let's mm. do it together. And he was like, okay. And we did it together and it was so fun. Yeah. Like it took this love, this like drudgery of like sifting through everything alone. And he's like, has no problem throwing things out. So anybody wants to declutter their house, Everest <laughs> is your guy. <laughs> He's not sentimental. He's like trash, <laughs> trash, trash. Me- meanwhile, one of the things that that ugh, one of my sticking points is that I feel so guilty about the planet and mm. throwing things into landfill mm-hmm. that I'd rather it just sit there and like yes. cause clutter in our house and on my soul than yes. – stick it in the trash, just throw it away. It just feels so – so we, you know, we we do the best we can and luckily we do have like curbside recycling and we do have places where we can bring things like batteries and stuff like that. Again, effort, right? Like yeah. there, that requires a lot of effort. I wish all that was easier. I think it will be at some point where, you know, cities take better care or make it easier to get rid of stuff. Um, but I just that example came to mind in terms of that's a whole other conversation about our planet. But but I think it's an interesting point about again being curious about the sticking yes. points, right? What prevents yes. me from decluttering? And that is a big piece of it. It's such a great example of when you do ask yourself. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think I don't think it usually is laziness. I think we we slap yes. the label lazy onto ourselves so quickly. But for me, like a lot of it will have to do with contamination, anxiety, OCD. Yeah. When it comes to cleaning. I'm like, I call myself lazy and then I'm like, no, I'm actually trying to avoid the feelings that I have when I have to be in contact with certain things. And yes. that's something that's that's then information about what would be more effective for me to live the way I want to live, which is to work with that. It's not just like, oh, I'm lazy and hopeless. Mm. I really think there is often something else that we are avoiding, whether it's a feeling, a thought, something that we think we are inadequate to face or do. And even like with school, I was struggling with my – with this research paper and I I emailed my professor and I asked for some guidance and I was thinking about how like – you know, I, I'm friends with a few people who are professors and teachers. And it's like really good teachers, all they want is to see mm. that students are putting in effort mm. and for them to ask for help when they need it and like yes. communicate with them. You know, that's yes. all they want. The really mm-hmm. good ones. They don't, mm-hmm. they're not asking you to be effortlessly a genius. No, know? no. 
And it's actually a gift to other people when we let them do their part. Like they want to be the teacher who's there to help you, you know? Yes, yes, yes. When you let your friend be your friend, when Mm. you let your parent be your parent, you know, like whoever it is that you're turning to for some guidance or help. Right, or help. And you enlist your teenager to clean the house with you. Yeah. Um, Or to cook. We just started doing it with Asher. We're like, you know what, Asher? He was saying no to every single one of our food Mm. options. And my kids are vegetarians. They became vegetarians really early. We've supported them, but we are not vegetarians ourselves. So it's been a huge effort. And I would not say a whole lot of ease. Um, But Asher's 14. And I said, you know, let's do it together. Like, let's pick them. And this is someplace where I am getting assistance. My brother mentioned purple carrot, one of those food delivery where it becomes all ready to cook, but Mm. you still have to cook it. Um, And I went on the website with Asher. Do any of these recipes look good? Which ones you decide, you know, give him all the control. So he decided. And our first one came last night. Um, And I was – I was in town, but Dave was here with Asher, and I said it would be so awesome for you guys to do it. My perfectionist and my overfunctioning self was like, I'll rush back so that I can do it with Asher because <laughs> I want to be in control of everything. Um, <laughs> but, but I was like, no, self. Actually, I'm right near the library, and what I really want to do is stop at the library because mm. I love the library so much. And then I did, and I came back with four delicious books as mm. an aside. Um, Mm. but I did that because I let go of control, let go of like my negative efforting, which looks like control. Um, and they made mostly Asher made this meal and who knows how long it will last. Everything shifts in the world of parenting. It could be like, this was brilliant. In my mind, I'm like, we've solved the problem forever. (laughs) This like angsty problem that we've all been suffering with. But it was, you know, a big success. Asher did a great job. He cooked it like 80% of it for him and Everest. Everest shows up at the dinner table. Asher's like, hey, I made you dinner. And Asher's like, Everest is awesome. Thank you. They both loved it. So again, another example of enlisting not only Asher's help, but also the help of Purple Carrot um, to make that like significantly reduce those number of steps. Um, and I realize that that's a privilege. It's not super cheap, but you know it's also not the most expensive one. Um, in terms of this piece that we're calling up that says we must ask for help right, with tasks that are hard, whether it's school or cooking or cleaning or exercise or um, our work lives, whatever it is. So to number one, be curious. That's such a compassionate mindset to not just slap on the label of lazy. Because I think you're absolutely right, Victoria. We're so quick to say lazy. And even around our kids, like lazy, like they never get off the couch and they're on their screens, whatever it is. But to be curious, well, what, what is preventing them? What is preventing us from the risk of effort, doing something new? Pour, put, pouring ourselves into something. Um, and so very compassionate to take that line of inquiry and curiosity. 
And number two, to seek the supports around you, the non-human and human supports that are here and available for all of us and can shift very quickly something that feels arduous um, into something that feels joyful and, and create that beautiful meeting of effort and ease. Mm. Do you mind if I close this out with a little story that I posted on Instagram last in an Instagram caption that I feel like really speaks to this? Yes. So this was a little two-parter. I posted this last year and it was about jogging. I was getting back into jogging. I will say that I got really bad shin splints, so I had to stop Mm -hmm. (laughs) jogging. Yeah. But I found other ways. I got back into hiking, rock climbing, you know, and, uh, but I still found, find this general uh, little trick helpful that I talk mm. about here. So I said, recently, I've begun going out for jogs once or twice a week. Working from home during a pandemic for the past two years has brought me to a new level of sedentary, so this is not easy. Mm. I told my therapist that I often hear a voice in my head piping up within 30 seconds of starting any physical exercise. You are so bad at this. Mm. You are so weak. You can't do this. You'll never keep this up. Why bother? My therapist asked if I could give that voice a name. The first thing that popped into my head was Ted Lasso's alter ego, Led Tasso, (laughs) a coach who berates and punishes his players in a way that is absurd and funny in the context of the show, but would really suck to be on the receiving end of. Mm Mm-hmm. She asked if next time I might acknowledge the voice as lead and see how that shifted things, and I said I could try that. The next time I went for a jog, that mean voice piped up right on cue, and I thought, hi, lead. But then, suddenly, I had a vision of Ted Lasso jogging beside Mm. me, full to the brim with his customary positivity and encouraging words. You have a big, caring heart, Ted said, and with every step, you're making it a little bit stronger. You can do this. This is the hardest part. Just get over this hill and gravity will take you all the way down the next stretch. Mm. It worked. I kept going with Ted right beside me and some good music in my earphones, of course. Mm -hmm. Using fictional characters for inspiration and motivation came so easily to me when I was a kid and teenager Mm -hmm. and then quietly went dormant throughout most of my 20s. I was supposed to be an adult now, and adults don't use their imaginations, right? Adults are just supposed to grit their teeth and do the dang thing, ground themselves in the real world, and not play make-believe. But it turns out that life is not only more fun, but actually easier when you can continue infusing some imagination and magic into the everyday. And those mean caricature voices of doom and gloom aren't exactly realistic either, They're just nastier characters in different costumes. Mm. So good. Beautiful. That's my imagination trick. It's so good, Victoria. (laughs) May we all transform the lead tasso into (laughs) Ted. May we all find that, that character, that voice, fictional character ally to make life easier and to bring more joy to get through those hard places and to find like you said the goodness in effort yes
the goodness and effort. Yes. Mm. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Victoria. Mm.